0: Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter six. One of the great dilemmas of being a pastor is to know when you're sick enough not to preach. I only work one day a week, and so if i don't if I don't work now, people think I'm piking completely. In the world in the middle of the week, you feel too lousy to come and study, but you feel good enough to preach and you know back and forth so I do not feel bad today if I cough and hack uh, I really don't feel bad it's just the uh, the end of the symptoms here and I'm so excited to share God's truth with you today because there's just a great great truth here in John 6 as we get back to our study of the gospel of John when Sue and I were in uh, Cannon Beach Oregon for the pastors and wives retreat a couple three or four weeks ago we heard the strangest thing walking through town. We had kind of walked out to the far end of town and had lunch. We were walking back through and, and we heard this really loud oh! and Yeah, and it was about that loud and it was, it was a bad imitation of a cow mooing by, by some guy over his huge loudspeaker system in Cannon Beach. And, you know, Cannon Beach is kind of a classy place. You know, if you, if you get down farther to, you know, Rockaway or Lincoln City, it isn't so class. Cannon Beach's kind of classy, and, and moo, and we're thinking, what in the world? And we're walking along, walking along, and pretty soon, then this person who had been doing their great imitation of a cow mooing said, "This is a test of the tsunami warning system." Now they have those big sirens so that when there's a tsunami wave, that they you know tell everybody you know if this was an actual event. You would hear a loud siren, and, and you should follow the evacuation routes. But they don't want people to get scared. They want them to know there's a system, that, and so they moo like a cow instead of actually putting the siren off. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if every time God was going to test you, he would holler out of heaven, this is a test! Well, I got news for you. He already hollered out of heaven, and he isn't going to do it again. He has told us in the scriptures, both by precept and example, that his normal way of working with us is to test us. And we're going to look at a prime example of that today in John chapter 6. Please follow as I read, starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when, he had, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. These are two Uh, very classic uh, Bible stories. Uh, Most people, even those who don't read the Bible, know something about these stories. This miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels, and we're going to refer to some of the details that are in a couple of the other Gospels as well that are not included here that help us to get the full meaning of this. And also, of course, uh, the uh, walking on the water is recorded in in, uh, other Gospels as well, and uh, that's the episode where Peter walked on the water, and we're going to refer to that a little bit later. But the thing that I want to really focus on and bring our thoughts out of is verse 6. But this Jesus said to Philip to test him. Jesus purposefully tested Philip and the rest of the disciples. He already knew what he was going to do. There's a tremendous principle here that we have got to get our mind around, and that is the purposefulness of Christ in testing us. What does this purposefulness of Christ teach us? Well, first of all, it teaches us that God causes tests to help me grow. God is going to cause some difficult or trying situations in our life. Now, God does not cause every event. We could go to the book of Job and realize that, jo- that Satan wanted to attack Job and God allowed it to happen and it was a test of Job's faith. But God did not cause those calamities. But there will be times, and this is one example of it, where God purposefully brings us into a pressure-filled situation, something beyond our control with the purpose of helping us grow. Listen to this verse uh, from Mark's account of these events in in reference to the water. It says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go without him or before him to the other side. There's a reason Jesus wasn't in the boat when it departed from the side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's the same reason as verse 6. Jesus was testing. He He was trying to help these men grow up in their faith. No matter how many times we read James chapter 1, we never cease to be surprised and dismayed when t- tests come into our life. "'My brethren, encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and mature, lacking nothing.' It should be obvious to us from these verses, but especially from John 6, 6, that it's normal to be tested in life. God isn't going to sound a loud horn. He's not going to moo out of heaven or sound off a siren or put some giant... Uh, giant red flag or or cause the Bible to fall open in some miraculous way so that you can go, oh, this is a test and I'm supposed to rejoice in it and trust God for the outcome. He's already told us that. You should be expecting it. I should... I got a cold on Monday. I felt that scratchy feeling coming on in my throat. And I thought, what in the world is that? And by Tuesday I knew what it was. Okay? Our temptation in those times is to go, oh, I don't want this. What's this? I got things to do. Look, go Look at my desk on the way out the door today. When it's clean, I've got everything organized and kind of in place. And when it's full of stuff, it's things I can't remember. And it's full of stuff today because I couldn't do my work this week. But I'm not surprised that God allowed me to get sick. And I wasn't angry with him because I know God is going to test me. Sometimes it's going to be physical. Sometimes it's going to be relational. Sometimes it's going to be professional in terms of the church. I have a friend whose son wanted to play football just this year, a pastor friend, and I happened to be with him on a particular day. We were we were gonna go play golf together, something I don't do very often. I have to find it's hard for me to find people that are as bad as me at playing golf. And so right when we were getting ready to go, he gets a call from his wife and I could hear her over the cell phone. <laughs> I gotta talk to you right now. <laughs> That's some calamity at home. Well, we we went home to get his clubs and all that and the calamity was the son who was going to start playing football decided he's not going to play football now the problem with that is they've already spent 700 dollars so he can play football you know send him to football camp bought him the cleats and whatever else you got to pay the fee and so on he went to one day of football practice and he came home and said oh no that's going to be hard surprise (laughs) now i understand maybe if you go out for some other sports you don't expect it to be so hard but if you're going to play football i mean it's going to be hard right up to the point where you beat heads what surprises him about that (laughs) i don't i guess it was just way harder than he expected hey christian you're gonna be tested Put it in your vocabulary. Say, God is going to test me. Some days they're going to be very small tests, and some days they're going to be medium, and once in a while there's going to be a big one. And I can't tell you when or how or what the frequency is going to be, but just put it into your vocabulary. God is going to do it, and we're going to see why as we go through here, and we're going to learn more about it. But, but from James chapter 1 we just understand that God wants us to grow up and he knows that testing is part of that process and since he created us and he saved us he knows what's best so stop being surprised and say okay God let's see what you got going here second thing we understand about testing from this passage in John 6 is this God orchestrates every aspect of my test think about this uh, let's go through the passage just a little bit here, starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberius, It has two different names, a, a Roman name and a, a more, uh, an older name in Israel. After these things, what are the things? Well, if you went back to John chapter 5, it's after those things. And if you looked at the timing here when he says... Uh, verse 4, now the Passover was near. If you looked at the timing, John actually leaves out about anywhere from 6 to 12 months of the events of the life of Christ between chapter 5 and 6. Because it wasn't germane to what John was trying to say. John was trying to say, Jesus is the Son of God, here are the things that demonstrate that. And so he didn't show everything that the other gospel writers showed. So if you, if you read uh, John 5, the man healed by the pool of Bethesda and, and so on, and, uh, and you say, after those things. So he'd been going around the countryside doing miracles. And if you read some of those accounts in the other Gospels, you'll see things like this. He went into a town and healed every disease in town. And who was with him while that was going on? For sure the 12 were with him. For sure they were with him. Okay, so they've seen this going on. Now, uh... Also, we would say that Jesus orchestrated the events right here. The great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, verse 2. So people were following him, and then also people were traveling because of the Passover, verse 4. In other words, people from this whole region would have been, men especially, were required to go to Jerusalem for the Passover, and so there would have been people traveling by, and if they saw a crowd following Jesus, they'd say, hey, what's going on? Let's Let's go check it out. And so, because it was Passover time, people would have been drawn to to follow this crowd. That would have swelled the numbers in the crowd. And we see in verse three, Jesus went up into the mountain. Now, if you did your geographical study here, you'd see that this is sort of northeast of the Sea of Galilee, in the boondocks. Okay, there's no super Walmart to buy bread at. Okay, that's not an accident. Jesus didn't do this miracle in Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what Jerusalem was like in that day and age. It might have been possible to scout around Jerusalem on any given day and buy enough bread to feed 5,000 people. I don't know. But Jesus didn't do it in Jerusalem. He did it out in the boondocks. It was a deserted place. Jesus knew that what he was going to ask Philip to do would be humanly impossible. He orchestrated the event so that that would be the case. And look what he says. Oh, look what he says. Or You can't look because I didn't put it up there. Listen to what he says in Matthew 14, 16. He says to the disciples, where can we get bread that all these may eat? And they go, "Wow, well, we can't do it. And he says, you give them something to eat. Now, if you've been in my Sunday school class, you know there are times that I ask, a question, then right away I'll say, this is a trick question. I'm wanting to get you to think in a little different way. I think that's what Jesus was doing. He said, where can we get bread to feed 5,000 men? And if we were to look at the numbers, we would realize there had to be some women and children, because there was at least one little boy, wasn't there? (laughs) One little boy with the lunch. And we would understand that in that day and age, they only counted the men. They didn't count families. They didn't count every person. And and uh, you know, I'm not for that. Don't get me wrong. But there probably was at least ten or fifteen thousand people. He says, "Where are we going to get bread?" And they're going. Hum, hum, hum. And he says, "You give them something to eat." If he'd have said this is a trick question, maybe they'd have got their mind going in the right direction. But he didn't. God, the Son, Jesus Christ, led his disciples into a humanly impossible situation on purpose now think about your life would you Christian is there anything right now that seems to be humanly impossible I understand sometimes we get into those situations because of personal sin or somebody else's personal sin but if you're in a, per- a humanly impossible situation, it is a test from God with- from which God wants to help you grow. Just because it's humanly impossible doesn't mean that it's completely impossible. It just means it's humanly impossible. And some of those situations for sure are the result of God's divine work in your life to help you grow up and be more like Christ. The third thing we need to understand about tests from this passage is this. God does miracles, or maybe I could even put it this way. When God does a miracle in my test, he will do it to help me grow, not to make me comfortable. Did Jesus feed these 5,000 people because they were hungry? I believe the answer is no. And I believe that will become much more clear as we finish this passage. When he talked to Philip, and he said, Philip, where are we going to get food for these folks? And he did it for a test. Does that seem to mean that he was really concerned about everybody being hungry? Or he was really concerned that people grow up spiritually? Now, I don't want to infer to you that God doesn't care whether you're hungry. I believe he does. And I believe he intends to provide for your life, generally speaking. There may be times when he lets you get out of money and low on food on purpose. I don't believe God values poverty and hunger above you know, wealth and fullness. Don't get me wrong. But God was concerned with the spiritual maturity, especially of his disciples. It's perfectly natural for us when we're shopping for something like a bed to look for the most comfortable one. Sue and I were out on our way home. Maybe I think it was when we were on our way home from Cannon Beach and we went into a bed store and we were laying on the beds. And and you know what one we liked best? Almost the most expensive one. With a pillow top about that thick. Would you buy a bed on purpose that hurt? Well, of course not. It's perfectly natural to look for that comfortable bed. When you go out to eat, do you open the menu and think... Ooh, there's something I hate. I guess I'll get that. Well, of course not. You think, you know, you, you kind of imagine in your mouth, you're going, mm, what would that taste like? Oh, man, that would taste good. So you order whatever seems best to you on that day and at that time. This way of living, though, is so normal that when we encounter a difficulty, a test, a trial, we naturally look up to heaven, and the first thing on our mind is, take this away. This is not comfortable. This doesn't taste good. This doesn't feel good. Get rid of this. Rather than looking up to heaven and saying, I get it, this is the test. Now what am I supposed to learn? How am I supposed to grow? What maturity are you wanting me to put on? Sometimes when God doesn't miraculously remove our difficulty, we get angry with him. And there are some difficulties we will encounter that God cannot remove. <clears throat> Just because we don't like a particular circumstance does not mean it's evil, and it doesn't mean that God is mean to allow it. God will protect you from harm, but not always from hardship. God did a miracle here. God did miraculously provide in this situation. But that was part of what he was wanting them to learn. God wants our tests to cause us to see his resources. Look at verse (coughs) 7. Excuse me. Philip answered Jesus after Jesus put this question to him. Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little... The challenge in translating that word denarii is this. There is a meaning for it in the context of that culture, and the meaning is this, one day's wages. Literally, it would be translated a penny, but that doesn't configure into our economic system. Philip said 200 days wages, or two-thirds of a year's work, would not provide enough bread that everybody could have a little bit. He didn't say be full, he said that they could have a little. And then Andrew chimes in. I don't know if Andrew had been out scouting around or if he'd just seen a kid holding his bag lunch or saw him getting ready to eat. But he said, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. This would be roughly equivalent to five dinner rolls. Little little hunks of bread, if you will. And the two fish, it's a, it's a unique word for fish that means it definitely means little. It was probably what we would call like sardines that they would put with the bread and it was, you know, some yummy thing like that. How many of you get sardines on your pizza? Don't admit it, that's terrible. <laughs> but that's probably what it was. And barley, of course, a barley bread was, was like the cheapest bread. It was what poor people had. It wasn't something special. So this little boy's got his sack lunch and Andrew's eyeballing it. There's probably a whole other lesson there, and and many times when we preach this text, we preach about the boy giving up his lunch to the Lord. I don't know if they had to wrest it out of his hands or what. (laughs) It would appear he gave it up willingly. But the the point is, what did Andrew say? What is this among so many? Jesus put this test to them, and he said, let's feed these folks, 15,000 of them. And Philip says, you know, if a guy worked for two-thirds of a year, we couldn't afford to do it. And Andrew says, well, here's a little food, what's that? All they were looking at was their own resources. Listen to this from Matthew's account. When it was evening, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. That's when Jesus said, you feed them. God wants us to see his resources. Look at verse 5 of of John 6. Look at the exact way that Jesus said this. You know, he didn't say here, Philip, you go and buy them food. What did he say? Where shall we buy bread? Where shall we buy bread? Now, if Philip was really thinking, he might have remembered a time when Jesus had to pay tax. Jesus had to pay the the, the poll tax. He had to have this one little coin to pay a tax. In fact, one coin paid it for two people. Where did he get the coin? Out of the fish's mouth. Apparently, Jesus didn't carry a wallet. He just said, Come here. There, there's a coin. Do you think Philip might have had a clue? (laughs) He when he went, let's see, what did we do the last time you needed money, Jesus? But all he can do is look at himself and go, we can't do it. Philip should have said, if he'd have been remembering all of the miracles that have been going on, he should have said something like, we can't possibly do this, but you can. Apparently that thought never crossed Philip's mind. Philip should have remembered the water turned to wine. The first miracle Jesus did. There they are at the feast, and they run out of wine, and they filled up a huge amount of a, a huge amount of gallons, and Jesus turned it into wine. Boom! I think Philip would have went, you know, what? he turned water into wine. Maybe he could turn dirt into bread. But no, it's gone. He should have remembered the lame man at the pool which is the last miracle John records, although that would have been several months ago. He should have remembered the man's son who was healed when Jesus was in another town. The man came and and he said, you don't even need to come. You just speak the word and he'll be healed. And he was. He should have remembered the whole town's healed of every disease. Arthur Pink, in commenting on this, wrote this. Do we... Like Philip and Andrew, look at our resources. Do we rack our minds to find some solution? Or do our first thoughts turn to the Lord Jesus, who has so often helped us in the past? Oh, dear reader, have we learned to spread each difficulty as it comes along before God? Have we formed the habit of instinctively turning to Him? What is our feebleness in comparison with His ocean fullness? Then daily look to him in simple faith, resting on his sure promise, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What God wants us to do is the same thing he wanted Philip to do with this impossible situation. He should have immediately said, I don't know, but I know you can do something about it. But he didn't. He just looked at himself. But that's what God wants us to learn, to always, to get in the habit of looking up to heaven and saying, okay, God, I I can't handle this. This is humanly impossible. I I don't like this, but I'll accept it and I'm asking you to work in it. The fifth thing we learn about tests here is this. God's solution to our dilemmas will include our effort in some way. Now, I'm not saying it's totally dependent on our effort. That's what we just realized He didn't expect Philip to make the bread, but he did expect Philip to carry the bread out to the people who needed it. The disciples had to find that lunch and bring it to Jesus. The disciples had to carry the food to the crowd. The disciples had to pick up the leftovers. God expects us to supply all that we can while focusing on his unlimited resources. Then he will do the rest. Again, Arthur Pink commented and said, between the unsearchable riches of Christ and the hungry multitude, there is room for consecrated service and ministry. Yes, God will expect us to do some things, but if we take the test into our own hands and run away and try to handle it on ourself, we'll come to despair but if we first put it in God's hands and say, God, I can't handle this. How would you have me to work in it? How would you have me to live in it? We go to his word and we learn all that he's told us about how to live in this situation. Then God shows up and does a miracle. But when we take it to ourselves or, or worse, when we look up to heaven and say, you have forgotten me and we get angry and walk away, then God isn't able to help us. Can you imagine Philip throwing up his hands and saying well Jesus you've done a lot of stupid things but this is the stupidest I'm going home we can't imagine Philip doing that but have you ever done that maybe you didn't say those words but you felt those feelings yes God is going to ask us to do what we can and most of the time, what it will be is live in obedience to his word as he works out the circumstances. The sixth thing that we learn about the purposefulness of Christ in tests is this. God's desire from us through tests is faith. Look at verse 14. Then those men, and I would assume that as a reference to the 5,000 men, not just the disciples, (coughs) when they had seen this sign, a sign was a miracle that proved who Jesus was, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now that stops short of calling him the son of God, the savior of the world. They were expecting two people that was wrong. Their, Their concept from the Old Testament was wrong, but the common concept in that day was this. Moses had predicted, that God will send a prophet like me to lead Israel. And then later, he's also going to send a Messiah, a deliverer for the people. And they said, truly, this must be the prophet that Moses talked about, because Moses did miracles, and these guys doing miracles. So they had a degree of faith, but not fully. And the thing that most surprises us is that the disciples did not get increased faith from this event. Listen from Mark's account. Immediately, immediately after this miracle, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed up to the mountain to pray. He went up for some quiet time with the Lord. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea... And he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. The Sea of Galilee is located in a bowl. If you've ever been to Lake Chelan, it's similar to that, only more sloped on the sides. And because of the, uh, the heating and cooling and the changing winds, the wind will go sh- swoop down like that and just make white caps on the Sea of Galilee. And so it, happens, it can happen very suddenly with the change of the weather. And that's what happened. Now about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And he would have passed right by them. Think about that for a minute. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and they were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and he said, be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid. Then he went up to the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and they marveled for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. If a guy could feed 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fishes why would you be surprised that he's walking on water? You know why you'd be surprised? Because you missed it the first time around. They, th- did you understand? They were, they were greatly amazed beyond measure. When God lays up words like that in the scripture, it's a superlative way for him to say, you just can't imagine how freaked out they were. And you'd think they'd go, wow, I guess he can multiply food and he can walk on water, Cool. In fact, Peter came the closest to responding properly. In Matthew's account, Peter said, Yeah, dude, I want to walk on the water. And Jesus said, Come on. And he did until he realized this is not humanly possible. He came close to responding the way he should have. But the rest of these did not. Their heart was hardened. As we come back to John 6, we understand that the goal of this test was for the disciples to believe in Jesus. Could I say it this way? Even more. The goal was for them to believe even more. After the feeding of the multitude, they should not have been surprised at Jesus walking on the water. Our belief in the deity of God, or could I say it this way? The Godness of God needs to grow and grow until it consumes us. Till there is nothing that shakes our faith. Till we constantly believe God can do anything. Till we really believe that. So when, when you're, say, a, a young Christian and God comes along and helps you with something, you say, okay, And then God helps you with something more and then something more. And pretty soon, you never look up to heaven and get angry. You're just going, okay, God, there's another test. I'm going to believe in you. And you're just believing and believing and believing. That's what God intends. But the only way that can happen is if you respond to today's test with faith and righteousness. There's an ad for a plumbing company that I see on TV Beacon Plumbing down in Seattle I think it's called Beacon Plumbing because it's located on Beacon Avenue and their ad says what are the words stop freaking call beacon and they say it in this really oh you know the water's leaking stop freaking call beacon they're hoping that little phrase will stick in your mind as it has in mind and obviously I won't call them to come to my house it's a little bit far away I wouldn't want to pay the charge on that Christian, every time you trust in God in a trial, you build your faith muscles so that you might actually come to a place where you don't freak out when the hardship comes. Can you imagine that being possible in your life? That you're not surprised when a test comes and you say, okay, God, I can't, but you can. Let's pray. Father, surely we can't, but you can. We rejoice in your power that is over all, in your knowledge that is so far above ours that we can't even imagine it. Father, help us to believe that you are God and that you are working in our lives and that you are working things out for our good. Help us truly, Father, to stop becoming exasperated in our situations and come to you and trust you and plod along with you as you work things out in our lives. I pray in Christ's name, amen.